That's just a good song to sing, isn't it? Amazing Grace. Yeah. Here's a line we sang, and I never thought about it before. I go, what is it saying? You know, you know, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." And, I, and we're singing, I think, okay, wait, wait a second. Grace is going to make me afraid? What's the deal? And, and, and what is he trying to say? I don't know if it's right, but I, I had to work through it in my mind as I was singing, you know, that, you know, how, how does grace teach me to fear? And, and I started thinking, well, I, there's no way I will, when I come to realization, there's no way I could ever work hard enough, do enough good, stay away from bad, to ever be right with God. It, it's, it's, a, it's a leap, it's a chasm that I can never get across. Boy, that's pretty terrifying. You know? So it, it causes me to fear, but immediately it relieves my fear because I, I don't have to. You know, I don't have to cross that chasm. God did it for me. And so I'd as many times as I sang that song, I never went through that process. If that helped you, great. If it didn't, forget about it, all right? Hey, I, I want to start this morning by reading several powerful passages of Scripture. And the first one is about uh, 3,400 years old. Have you ever thought about how crazy that is? To be reading words from a book every week that are literally thousands of years old. I mean, since the days of Moses, people have been reading the very words that I'm about to read in just a minute. You know, understand, God's word, is, it's not bound by time, it's not bound by cultures, it's not bound by race. God's word has been speaking from generation to generation to generation to generation long before you and I have gotten here, and God's word will continue to speak long after you and I leave this planet. And so here's the words. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you know, I always like to start off reading scripture. Uh, uh, I do it 92.173% of the time, you know. I calculated it this week. Not, not really. But, you know, see, I take great confidence in starting with God's word and not my own. You know, because God's word is living. God's word is active. God's word is powerful. God's word is true. God's word endures forever. And here's what we're reading God's word. Hear, O Israel, Israel's God's people, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or drive along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and, and on your gates. And, and the next is from Psalm 78. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which, which he commanded our ancestor, ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but keep his commandments. They would 
not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And then Paul writes these words, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And then Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Well, how's that? What did you do? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we humbly and joyfully and expectantly come into your presence. God, I'm praying with my palms open, Lord, because even though I'm up here speaking, I want to hear from you, and I, I want to receive your teaching. I want to embrace your truth and, and have your truth produce fruit in my life. God, I, I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds, Lord, that you'll, you'll help us see things from your point of view. God, that you'll help us block out the world and all its distractions, Lord. And God, I pray that you help me to say what you want me to say in the way that you want me to say it. God, help me to speak well for you this morning. I pray that what we do today in this place will affect generation after generation after generation. And it really can. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in our final week in this message series we began back on March 9th, God's blueprint for the family. Uh, next week is Easter, okay? Uh, it'd be good to know that if you go to Walgreens, they have holiday eggs on sale for 99 cents. I saw that this morning. Holiday eggs, right? But we're going to actually celebrate Easter next week, and we're going to celebrate that, that the tomb is empty, that the stone was rolled away, and we're going to talk about what that actually and literally means for me and for you today, all right? And we're going to celebrate Easter because the resurrection of Jesus, it's not just a big deal. It's, it's like the entire deal. It's like the, the whole enchilada, right? I mean, it changes everything. It changes our past. It changes our present. It changes our future. It changes your past. It changes your future. It changes your present. And, and we're going to celebrate Easter next week like people who are saved, like people who are set free, like, like people who are headed home, like people who know that the enemy has been defeated, that death could not hold our king down. Amen. And then on April 27th, we're going to begin a, a brand new sermon series that I'm, I'm really excited about. It, it's called uh, Living Hope. It, it's a series on 1 Peter. We're going to look at the letter that, that Peter wrote that begins with, with these words right here. I, I love these words in 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live, because of that, now we live with great expectation. That's where we're going. Easter Sunday and then on to living hope. But today, we're wrapping up our series on the family, knowing that there's so much more that we could talk about, right? And knowing that we will visit this topic of family again and again in our future. 
And the premise for the series was simply this, that, that, that God, family and marriage was God's idea, uh, that God created both, that God's the author of both, that God's a perfecter of both, and, and that God in his word has given us a blueprint of how family should work. All right? We looked at things like, here's, here's the building material. Here, here are the things that you need to make sure are in your family in order for your family to be strong. Just like every, every home, right, needs certain building materials, right? Hopefully your home has a floor, right? Did it have a floor? Does it, does it have a roof? Does it have walls, right? Uh, does it have a door? Does it have a window? Maybe indoor plumbing, you know, electricity. Well, there are certain things that we need material in our relationships in our home for them to work. We talked about those things. Okay, acceptance, attention, and the like. You can check it out online. And, and then we moved on and we said, hey, we need to do some rethinking, right? Because, because the world, in regards to marriage and family, the world sent us an email a while back. And we opened up that email and a virus began to spread throughout our life, right? And the world says, hey, this is how marriage works. This is how family works. And, 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 we, and we began to get confused. And so we said, we have to rethink marriage, we have to rethink what it means to be single and, and how we actually find our soulmate. And, and, and what it really came down to is that, you know, both in marriage and singleness in the family, the key is to make none of our relationships about us. Right? Remember we had this thing in the marriage thing, we said that it's not about our happiness, but about our what? Holiness. That's radical, right? It's not about our happiness. What if we saw every relationship that way? Say, hey, how, how is God using this relationship in my home to make me like Christ? And how is it using it to enable me to reflect Christ? I tend to think it would make a huge and massive difference. You know, we've had some great conversations in this room. A lot of people I've talked to in their marriages are, are rethinking marriage. And, you know, I know a lot of people are single. I've People grabbed me before service, some, some single ladies saying, you know what, um, they're really encouraged by the words that God brought, you know, through me on, you know, on singleness a few weeks back. And uh, all these things are online. I'm not going to go over those again. But we need to rethink things, right? The world is just messing with our minds, all right? This morning, we're going to wrap up by doing some more rethinking. Rethinking parenting, okay? Uh, the gospel and the next generation. And like I said, it's the last week. And, you know, you know I don't know about you, but... I find these sermons difficult, you know, because it's, I mean, we're talking about real stuff, right? And, and we're talking about families and marriages, and, you know, some marriages aren't doing good. And, and, and you know, sometimes, okay, if he's talking about family, I don't know if I even want to be in church, right? Because it's going to be tough. And, you know, I, I said a while back, you know, when I do this, I'm in your underwear drawer. And I don't want to be in your underwear drawer, believe me. And you don't want me there, but sometimes I got to go there, right? And we got to talk about these things. And I, I, I approach this, man, it, it, it wears me out. It really does. You know, I, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to offend people. You know, I talk about singleness, and what do I really actually know about that, right? To be a single daughter, I don't know much. You know, because I got married when I was 20. was married 16 years, got, five, got married again five years later. You know, I've been pretty well married since I was 20, right? I, I don't know what it is to be a single adult. I don't know from experience, but I can maybe look at the Word and say, here's what the Word says, because my experiences can change, right? And, and, but God's Word endures forever. And so I, I want us to rethink parenting. And there's four points in your notes, and they're being brought to you this morning by the letter P, all right? Uh, uh, <laughs> Big Bird dropped in today, all right? Um, and... and, and and you'll see in your notes, you know, in regards to rethinking parenting, um, in regards to the gospel to the next generation, we're going to talk about, you know, the primary purpose, the empowering partnership, 
our focus, passion, and our landing place. And if you're taking notes, you'll notice on the back that, you know, I actually had it worded when they printed the outline, our passion and priority. I changed that. And you can cross that out and put our focus, passion. All right? So let's do this. Let's do this. And, and just let you know, because every Sunday you're wondering, do I really need to listen or not? Right? And so I'm going to let you know whether you can, like, you know, you know, play on your phone, go to sleep, or whatever. All right? You need, here's who needs to listen. If you're a parent, you need to listen. If one day you would like to be a parent, you need to listen. Or if you know a parent, you need to, be a, you need to listen. All right? Because right? we've got to help other people with God's truth. So, all right. And, and uh, the primary purpose. I understand in the church, and, and by that I mean in the lives of those who follow Jesus, parenting has one primary purpose. One top priority, one main, one most important thing. What is it? What is, what are the top priorities of parenting? I want to maybe illustrate something here. Anybody know what this thing is here? It's a pitching machine, right? And, and, and I bought this last week because Gentile started playing, he started playing uh, baseball in the fall. And, and, and so I bought this machine. And, and, and the reason I bought it is because every game, he's going to face this sucker, right? And it's going to be winging in at 43 miles per hour, and I, I, I want him to get hit, so I don't want him to strike out. So I got this machine. And here's kind of how it works. It's, it's got this spring here that's just power spring, right? And, and you can adjust the height and everything. And I'm going to launch some wiffle balls out here. And, and, and any, anybody who catches it, if you return the wiffle ball to me, um, next week I'll bring you a $5 uh, Starbucks card, all right? You guys ready? Here we go. We're going to launch the first one. Oh, all right, all right, we got one winner, all right, hold on here, I may have to turn the power up a little bit, I really don't want to give any cards. Did it hit the ground? Oh, is it a clean catch? Really? Really? I don't know if I can trust you guys, all right, all right, all right. Oh, man. Oh, man. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. Just a little more power. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> All right. All right. All right, the final wiffle ball. All right, here we go. Here we go. That's what they do, right? You ready? It's coming. Boom. Thank the Lord. <laughs> Only costing me 20 bucks. All right. That was fun. You ready to go home? No. And actually, well, hopefully, you know, the reason I did that that maybe you'll remember the point I'm trying to make, and you'll say, like, okay, why did this nut bring a pitching machine? I've never done this before, by the way. You know, and, and you'll think, why did he do that? You say, well, because he, he was talking about something, and what was he talking about? I don't know, but I got a Starbucks card, and so <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about my quad, you know, mocha, and I didn't even, you know, th this week I, I Googled 
you know, top parenting priorities. And I found quite a few lists with things on them like parenting priorities, you know, academic success, character development, values, teaching our kids to respect other people, recreational activities. And listen, all that stuff is good. I mean, believe me when I tell you, I, I plan on using this thing again. I, I didn't buy it not to use it. And probably Tuesday, I'll be using this machine again. And, and you know what? I, I, I want my kids to do well in school. And, and I want Gentile to practice his drums and mainly to practice her guitar because I'm paying for lessons, right? And you're gonna, if I'm going to pay for lessons and buy you something, you're going to practice the sucker, right? You know, and, 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 but that's not my primary purpose in parenting. You remember Jesus in Matthew 23? Matthew 23 is where Jesus kind of loads up the gun uh, and, and he unloads both barrels on the religious leaders and, he, and, and then he loads it again and unloads it again. And he, he said this to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay, let's see who it is and put the picture on the screen. <laughs> but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Just, it could be mine. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He said, yeah, you, you should have done these things. He said, I'm not saying you shouldn't have, but, but you shouldn't have neglected the most important thing. And, and I, I'm telling you the truth, that this week as I you know, spent, bought this thing, put it together, and spent like two hours on the tennis courts, because all the fields were taking up yeah, at Holly Mead, you know, I started thinking about this. And God brought this pitching machine into my head. And he said, Steve, go ahead and use that pitching machine. Because I want to see Gentile hit a home run too. But be sure not to neglect what matters most. Steve, don't allow yourself to be distracted by lesser things. Steve, I need to make sure that you step up. And your kids need to make sure that you step up your game in regards to the primary purpose in parenting. Well, what is that purpose? Well, these verses we read at the beginning uh, make that purpose extremely clear. Deuteronomy 6, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. we got to own the first parents, right? We can't pass on what we don't have. Then we impress them on our children. Psalm 78, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. Why? So the next generation would know them. Fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then First Thessalonians, Paul's talking about how he dealt with the church. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. How's a father supposed to deal with his children? How are parents supposed to do with their children in the church? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And based on these verses, I came up with the following statement. The primary purpose of Christian parenting is that our children's lives, that our children live lives that reflect God's image, bring him glory, carry his gospel, and that are fully devoted to his son. You see, the primary purpose of parenting, man, I love that T-ball machine, yeah, pitching machine, it is... In regards to my child's relationship with God, and if 
if we get our children if we get our children's relation with God right, then everything else works out. If we get our kids to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then all the other things they need in life will be added to them as well, because that's what God's word says, and God's word is true. God's word is a rock. And, and you know what I discovered as a parent? You know, as a parent over the last three decades, I, I, I completed my third decade of parenting on March the thirtieth. March the 20th of this year, when my daughter Chelsea turned 30. And here's what I learned. Here's what I discovered. I discovered that taking my kids to Christ has covered up a multitude of parenting sins. All right? Seriously. Seriously. If my kids and those of us, they'd be clapping, right? Yeah, you're right, Dad. It weren't for Jesus, right? You know, because I look at my kids and I go, man, I did a lot of things and I'm doing a lot of things wrong. How did they turn out so good? Oh, you were smart enough to get them to Jesus. You know, that's it. I'm messed up and you're messed up, you know. uh, But it covers a multitude of parenting sins, right? It's like, man, it makes me look like I do a good job. I didn't do anything, right? I just got them to Jesus. And believe me when I tell you, I've messed up a bunch, and I'll continue to mess up a bunch. Again, our primary purpose is 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 to pass the gospel on to the next generation, it's so that our children are devoted to Christ. If that's the purpose, how are we doing? I mean, how's the church doing? How are parents doing at doing this? Passing the gospel in the next generation. A guy named Thomas, Tom Rayner wrote a book called Millennials Connecting to America's Largest Generation. All right? Um, millennials are those born between 1980 and 2000. All right? Raise your hand if you're a millennial in this room. 1980 to 2000, raise your hand. All right, okay, we got some in this room. There's 78 million of them in our country. I, I own three of them, right? And, and, and here's what he found out. You know, own. Uh, percentage of people who profess to be born-again Christians who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. He did this survey about 2010, right? Interviewed people who were 65 years or older and 65% said, hey, you know what, I, I, I tr- I'm a born-again believer, and I trust in Christ alone for salvation. 65%, that, that's not too bad. And then when we went down to ages 46 to 64, what's the number there? 35%. That's, I think we're not heading in the right direction. And, and then from 34 to 45, you know, if 65 was yeah, not bad, and 35, well, we're getting worse, well, then we wind up to... What percent? 15 percent. And then 16 to 33 is what? 4 percent. Now, for various reasons, I'm always leery of statistics, right? Because you can, you can make them say anything. Uh, but it, this is anywhere close to reality. And I think even if we, we may argue with the actual percentages, I think we would agree with the direction, right? You know, it's a pretty scary picture. And check out this one. Percent of high, here's what he had, percent of high school students who attend church and then leave the church within four years of graduation, what's that number? 70%. That means seven, seven out of ten of our students over here that, that are in church, when they graduate high school, within four years, seven out of ten of them won't be going to church anymore. Now, yeah, they may come back later in life, but, you know, it's still not a very pretty picture. And again, if the primary purpose of Christian parenting is to pass the gospel on to the next generation, 
and have them become fully devoted followers of Christ, we're forced to the conclusion that things are not going so well. However, before we give up, throw in the towel, start looking for sharp objects, put your nail files away, right? Let's move on to the third point in your notes. The empowering partnership. Understand, God has designed Christian parenting and the church to form a dynamic empowering partnership that will both make the, that will both, do we have that slide for that? Boom. All right. God has designed Christian parenting and the church to form a dynamic empowering partnership that will both take the gospel to and put the gospel in the next generation and take his gospel into the world. All right? It's this partnership between parents and the church that'll take the gospel into the next generation, you know, and, and, and they will take the gospel into the world. Now, fortunately, the church and, and parents have a partnership. And fortunately, there are a few extremes when it comes to this partnership that we tend to wander between. One is to elevate the church to the exclusion of the family. Okay, parents, we are going to create programs, all right, and events, and all we want you to do is drop your kids off. In fact, we do not want you to try this at home. Leave this to the professionals, right? And many parents, for the most part, have abdicated their responsibility to the church. And listen, that's to miss the point. The other end, you know, usually extremes, we swing the one end to the other. The other end is to say that the family is the most important thing, and if the church would just stay out of the way, then everything would be much better. And again, both of these extremes, as extremes always do, they miss the point because God has designed in the church, God has designed for Christian parents and the church to work together, to work in tandem in order to pass the gospel on to the next generation. I understand the family has a unique responsibility for children in the home, but the church has a shared responsibility for children in the body. Okay? You know, I have a unique responsibility for my children that you don't have, you know, you know for their spiritual, emotional, and physical welfare. All right? Um, Deuteronomy 6, and we read that earlier. Um, Moses said this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Then he says this, tie them as symbols on your hands, right? And bind them on your foreheads. He's not, this is not literal. He says, you know, you know let people see by your actions that you're one of God's people, by the way you think you're one of God's people, and then write them on the door frame of your house, right? So people, on that, God's not saying literally write this on your house today, right? Go to Lowe's, buy some spray paint. He's not saying that, all right? It, it could freak your neighbors out, right? But he's saying, wait, you know what? These people are God, God's people. These people are following Jesus. These people belong to God. We know it by the things they do and by the way that they act. You see, my family and yours will go to places that Maple Grove will never go, right? You know, um, you guys probably don't know, I don't know their last names, but you may not know Greg or Dave or Tim 
or Jason, or Ken, or Jason, or Shell, Jason's wife. And there's just people I just met recently that are on Gentiles baseball team, right? And, and guess what? You know, you have family members, right, that you know, that your family knows that I don't know, right? And so God has placed our family in a unique position, you know, to, to represent Christ in other places. It's, it's, just, it's just partnership. But listen, the church has a shared responsibility in the body. After all, God gave the Great Commission not to the family, but to who? He gave it to the church. And therefore, the church, you know, we must strengthen parents and families to make disciples in the home and to make disciples through the home. You see, as a church, you know, we have to help each other become more like Jesus, to be like the men and women God wants us to be, like the husbands and wife God wants us to be, like the moms and dads that God wants us to be. You know, that we have to have strong marriages and, 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 and strong families and, and, and then so that mom and dad and help mom and dad really know the Lord so that they can help their kids know the Lord. And then God takes this unique family and, and they uses this family to not only make disciples in the home, but to make disciples through the home. And some of you are already doing those things. And, and, and again, I, I think what has happened over the years that are wrought in some of those crazy percentages that represent real people. And again, we agree at least with the direction. Like, why does that happen? Why aren't we passing it on to the next generation? Why, when I walked into Walgreens, did it say holiday eggs and not Easter eggs? Right? I mean, what is, you know, why, why that? I didn't have time to look around and see if they said holiday candy everywhere, you know? But why? And I think, number one, we've, I think we've ignored this powerful partnership and not realized that we're, we're really designed to work together for the same goal. And number two, I think, you know, one or both partners have been distracted from their primary purpose, right? And it, it's so easy to get distracted, you know. And, and God kind of put it on me. It's just like, he said, Steve, it's so easy to get distracted. He said, okay, you spent, you spent hours recently. Not, nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. Playing catch, you know. Practicing hitting, right? He goes, that's good. That's good. But have you been intentional about other stuff with Gentile? You know, I go, I don't know if I spent two hours <laughs> in one day. <laughs> but it's the primary purpose. And I think sometimes churches have gotten it wrong and haven't passed the gospel to the next generation because they, they, they think that, you know, student ministry is about programs and events and cool personalities and, and having fun and, and not making, encourage them to really know Jesus and to live out their faith and and, and that's why, you know, I, I, I'm excited about our student ministry. Are they perfect? No, but neither are you, right? <laughs> neither am I. Uh, but these students are trying to live out their faith, you know, uh, trying to be like Christ. Okay, let's move on. Uh, uh, understand, when we embrace the primary principle, purpose rather, and we engage the empowering partnership, it leads to the third point, our focused passion. And by our, I, I, I mean both the church and Christian parents. And, and we see this focused passion in, 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 in Psalm 78. And the guy who wrote it was Asaph, a worship pastor, basically. And again, here's his words we read earlier. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders, for he's issued his laws to Jacob. 
He's given his instructions to Israel. He commanded her ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach, teach each other. See, our, our, our focus, passion, right, as parents and as a church needs to be, we will teach the scriptures. We, parents and church, will teach scripture to the next generation, to our children, our family, and to our students in the church because this is our focus, passion. God has spoken, and we must teach the next generation the words of God. Uh, understand, the only way that you and I will accomplish our, our primary purpose of helping our kids be on fire and know God is through, is through the Word of God. The Word of God must be the foundation for our home and the foundation for our church. That's why we do something, we started something here called Saturday Morning Live. Where we're just studying the Word. We need to know the Word. We want to be biblically literate. Understand, there's a reason why you and I are in this room today studying words that are 3,000 years old. Because moms and dads and people have been passing it on from generation to generation. If they didn't, we wouldn't be here, right? We're here because people passed it on. We will teach scriptures. We will tell our children and our students who God is. We'll tell them that, that everything begins with God and everything ends with God. That God is the creator, the sustainer, and ruler over everything. We're going to teach them that, that the world does not revolve around our family. The world does not revolve around them. The world does not revolve around us, but it revolves around God. Christ is supreme in all things. We need to teach our children and our students who God is. Not simply, well, let's teach them rules that make our life easier, right? You know, or, or religious rituals that we want them to obey or life skills, but who God is. And we, we'll teach them what God has done. We need to let our students and children know that the God that we worship, he's not far off and distant and detached, but he's one who acts and moves among his people. And that's exactly what God, the Spirit says through Asaph in Psalm 78. He says, Tell your, tell your children what God has done. Tell them about the plagues. Tell them about how God powerfully and miraculously provided for his people in the wilderness. Tell them that he created all that they see by speaking a word. Tell them what God has done. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his power and his mighty wonders. We will teach them who God is. We will teach them what God has done. And we'll teach them what God has said. You know, this God who is, is creator of all, sustainer of all, and ruler of all. This God who acts and moves in history and in our own personal history has spoken truth. That can change and impact our lives. Uh, understand. The church and Christian parents must make this book. And not how to hit a fastball on power 10, the primary instruction in the home and in the church. Because this book, these words, what God has said, this book, these words, what God has said will endure forever. This book, these words are a rock our children and students can stand on a billion years from now. And God's... And parents, Steve, what matters in the end, what matters ultimately is what you and I, or who you and I 
give to our kids to stand on. We will teach the scriptures and we will tell the stories. Psalm 78 is the longest historical psalm. It recounts the history of God moving in his people. We need to tell our students and children, you know what? We're part of a long and enduring story. This story did not begin with us, and it's not going to end with us. It's the story of an all-powerful, almighty, all-loving God doing whatever it takes, moving in history to bring his people back to himself. And listen, this week I started thinking about it. This is nuts. This is nuts. You know, that, that you know, when, when I tell these stories about God delivering his people, I tell the stories about Daniel and the lion's den and all those things. That's the same stories that parents have been telling for thousands of years. You see, there's a, there's a day when Peter and James and John were at home. And mom and dad were telling them the stuff that I'm telling my kids and the stories that I'm telling my kids. The same stories have been going on. We need to tell God's stories, what he's done. We need to say, look, here, here's some people who they trusted God, and they trusted God to do the impossible, and God did. And God showed up, and he still does. And we need to tell our stories of people taking on the impossible, what looks impossible, and God doing great things. You know, I bought this T-shirt yesterday. Because I didn't have any dry cleaning, and it was five dollars <laughs> at the Walk for Life. So hey, I'm going to wear this tomorrow. I don't have to worry about having a shirt. And we had like 40 plus people from the Grove show up, you know, in honor of, of life. And um, during that walk, I was spent a lot of time walking with with, with Hope Wood and you know, her and her daughter Haley. Haley's in ninth grade, and and she's taking on a project. You know that I'm like, really? You you going to do that? You know where? Uh, at the last MOVE conference, she took on a project to raise $5,000 to rise, raise up a church planner in India through Central India Christian Mission, which is a great ministry. Uh, A.J. Lyle has been doing it for 30 years. He's planted 3,000 churches, 300,000 baptisms, and she's got to raise $5,000. She's having an event coming up in May here. And, and it's cool to hear mom and daughter are working together, you know, and, and that seems pretty impossible to me, right? I'm thinking, that's a lot, you know, and we have students, we have Eight or nine students that, that are going with Laurie to Cambodia, right, to, to the Rafa house, right? And, and the number keeps growing. And it's like, well, okay. And I, I'm like thinking, that's, that's, that's a lot. Are you sure you want more and more to come? You're like, that's like $27,000, you know, you know um, to go. You have to raise to go over there, you know. But I think God's going to show up, you know. I, I think God's going to show up to do the impossible. And, and then children... You know, Rafa House, where they're going to Cambodia, it's where, where kids are, you know, I look at Mei Lee, and we live in a sick world. There's people that take those innocent Mei Lee age and younger, and their whole life is just to be abused sexually every day. I, I can't even imagine that. And, and, and Rafa House rescues those girls and lets them know there's a God that loves them and, and, and gives them hope. We need to tell the stories of this God who moves in history and does things. We'll teach scriptures, we'll tell the stories, and we'll, we'll warn against sinfulness. You see, since it recounts history of God's people, Psalm 78, you know, it says, hey, you know, it's, it, it tells how, you know what, they didn't always listen to God, that sometimes God's people, they, they, they walked down a road, a road that looked good, a road that looked appealing, and when they got to the end of that road, it just didn't end so good. Here's what happened. They didn't trust God, and here's what happened. We need to tell our children and students, yeah, I, I know you're 16 and I know you're fighting temptations, but these temptations are not new. People have been tempted 
to, to not trust God for generations, to not trust God in his word for years and years. And here's what happened. We need to teach our children, students, fear God, trust God, don't trust sin. We need to teach them, fear God, trust God, and don't trust sin. We'll teach the scriptures, we'll tell the stories, we'll warn against sinfulness, and we'll exalt the Savior. What is so cool about God, what's so cool about this psalm, you know, in the midst of our rebellion, you know, how does God respond to rebellion? By mercy, by forgiving us, by amazing grace, time in, time again. We need to let our students and children know, when I say students, I'm talking about those in this room that are students and Children, I'm talking about our family. How will God respond? You teach our students, our children. How will God respond to your failures with forgiveness? How will God respond to your unfaithfulness by being faithful? Understand it. It's God's forgiveness that keeps the story going. Question. When we we embrace the you know, the, the, the primary purpose of parenting, when we, when we you know, engage the, the powerful partnership, when we unleash our focused passion, what will happen? What will be our landing place? Here, 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 here's what's going to happen, you know. They will know God in their minds. Our children and our students will know God in their minds. Not just facts about God, which are important, but they'll know God. So that when they sit in a university classroom and that atheistic professor starts wailing on Christianity, their faith will not collapse. Because they don't just know some facts about God, which are good. Where you can say, wait a second, professor, I think if you really look at the evidence, I, I, I think my faith has a little bit more evidence than you. But they also say, you know what, hey, I, I I don't just know facts about this God. I've heard this God. I've seen this God move. I've watched him move in my life. I know who he is. I'm not going to leave him. I'll stay with him because I know him in my mind. Yeah, I, I know him. They'll know him. And they'll trust God in their hearts. The psalmist says, Psalm 17, then they will put their trust in God. See, see, we want our children or students to put their trust in God to put their hope in him so that when they see all the pleasures and pursuits of this world that can look so good and so appealing, they'll know in their hearts that God is so much better. So that when things are falling apart all around them, they'll know that there is still a rock they can stand on. There's still a God that they can trust in. They will trust God in their hearts so that when things are bad and tough in life, and it sure can get that way, can it? They will know that God is always present. When things get rough and tough in our lives, they will know that God is always present and God is forever good. That it's going to be okay. Because my God is still God, and my God is still good, and my God is still near. Our landing place. They'll know God in their minds. They'll trust God in their hearts. And they'll obey God in their lives. 3 John 4 says, have no greater joy 
They hear that my children and our students are walking in the truth. Isn't that what we long for? Moms and dads and those who work with the students in this room. Isn't that what we long for? That our children and our students will obey God with their lives, that they'll be living out what they believe, that they're looking more and more like Jesus, that they're living like he lived, they're talking like he talked, they're walking like he walked, that they're living lives, like Paul said, that are worthy of him, that are reflecting him, and that are bringing him glory upon glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. Maple Grove, moms and dads. I'm convinced of this, and I got to tell you, this is like all new thoughts to me that from this week. I, I, I struggled until like maybe this morning with this message. I've changed it so many times. Friday morning, I thought I had it Thursday, Friday. I spent two hours saying I have no idea what I'm talking about. My wife got ready to call the people with straight jackets. I mean, I was literally, I was, I've never been so confused and like freaking out. Like I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. But they, I stand here convinced, convinced that if we, as moms and dads, as a church, if we embrace our primary purpose, which is what? Helping kids become fully devoted followers of Christ, that they reflect God with their lives, they carry his gospel into the world. If we engage this powerful partnership between the family and the church, and if we unleash our focus, passion, the word of God, this is where we're going to land. We're going to land at a place where our children know God in their minds, they trust God in their hearts, they obey God with their lives, and the gospel will pass on to the next generation. Here's the bottom line. We stuck this at our mission thing. We had a banner. We got we a plaque out front. Part of our mission statement is to make disciples, right? That's a good thing. Bottom line, if we're going to be successful at making disciples of all nations, we must be intentional about making disciples in succeeding generations. We must be intentional about making disciples in the next generation. And when I say next generation, here, here's what I mean. You know, next generation in our homes. I got some in my homes. Next generation in our church. And then the next generation is also the billions of students and children around the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus before. Some of our students who go to Cambodia, they're going to encounter some girls, you know, that, that never really knew about God or really, how could you trust a God that would allow that to happen, you know? That's the generation we have to take it to. And, and here, here's the thought I just want to I, I, I close with. You know, I, I don't know if you notice what he said here um, in Psalm 78. Okay. For he, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their children. See what he's saying? Yeah, he's saying, you know, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Okay, that's, for me, that, you know, in my home, that is, you know, is Chelsea, John, Leela, May Lee Gentile, okay? So the next generation may know them. Even children not yet born, right? Okay, so that's, their, that's my grandkids. And they in turn will what? Teach their own children. And, and so here, here's this closing thought that, you know, 
That was good. Maple Grove, Christian parents. Let's begin living our lives in such a way. In other words, let's do family and church in such a way that our great-grandchildren and the grandchildren of every student in this room will know, love, serve, and spread the glory of God throughout this world. You know? See, what does that look like? Okay, how do I do this? So not just Chelsea, but her children, you know, which right now are, just, are three of them, you know, Zeb, Micaiah, and Asher, but not just there. You know, how do I live in such a way that I'm thinking beyond that? How about Asher? He's just a baby right now. He's, what, six months old. But so that Asher's children know him. And, and, and the children of Asher's children, you know, and we look at the students in this room when you're teaching in, in, in children's ministry, in a student ministry, not just these students know him, but, and not just their children, but the children of their children know him so that the gospel is passed on to the next generation. Let's begin living life that way. You know, it's different than the world, right? You know, and we're going to face it. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be tempted to put a whole lot more time in that fastball machine, right? You know, and, and get distracted, right? The world's going to get me screwed up, right? But the main thing is to give our kids Christ and to pass the gospel on to the next generation, right? That are in this room, that are in our families, and that are in this world. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we, God, we love you. And, and God, we just ask for your help. Got sometimes the responsibility to pass the gospel on in our home, to live life that reflects you, and to pass it on to our students. And we, we see our world headed in a different direction, Lord. And, and, and God, just help us to stay focused and God, help us to lean hard into you, God, and help us as a church. God, help us to do things differently. And help us to lean on your power and to trust you. And God, if, it, if it's contrary to what the world is doing, God, may we choose not to follow the world, God, but to follow you and to trust you. God, we love you. I pray for every parent in this room, God, every mom, every dad. I, I pray for for those who work in our children's ministry, God, those who work in our student ministry, God, that you would refresh and renew and reinvigorate them. And I pray for us as a church, God, that whether we have kids or don't have kids, it's still our responsibility, God, to take the gospel to the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen.